Hello, and welcome to the HSJ Health Check podcast, where each week we explain and debate the most important news issues right now in the NHS policy and leadership world. I'm Annabelle Collins, and this week I'm joined by Deputy Editor Dave West, Bureau Chief James Illman and Correspondent Tom Norton. National and international news this week has continued to be dominated by the coronavirus pandemic. We've seen the Prime Minister describe this as the worst public health crisis in a generation, and the government has now moved from the contained to delay phase. In this podcast, we won't be going over the facts and figures and public health advice you already know, but instead, we'll be addressing what this outbreak means for the NHS, for your trusts and teams. This will be the focus of HSJ's coronavirus coverage, and we've now made our news and comment on hsj.co.uk free to access for all. Chief Medical Officer Chris Whitty said last week it was probable we'd have to reconfigure the NHS profoundly in the face of this virus. So, um, turning to James first, um, what steps have already already been taken um, to start to do this? So, yeah, so far, um, Chris Whitty made that comment about the sort of um, profound reconfiguring of the NHS uh, a couple of weeks back. And for, you know, um, someone who chooses their words carefully to say something like that was um, uh, significant. And um, obviously, we're talking about a a profound reconfiguration uh, during the peak rather than uh, forevermore, although there, there may be lasting consequences. Uh, but this week, we, we really started to see, um, yeah, things ramp up quite considerably. So uh, we saw this potential long moratorium on electives, uh, which could could go on. I mean, no one really knows, but um, figures uh, such as three or four months have been discussed, which uh, would be unprecedented, certainly in recent times, a couple of winters ago. There was um, a uh, moratorium for around two months, but um, yeah, if if it goes on for three to four months, it, it could have pretty profound implications, both on uh, the waiting list, which is already uh, yeah, four point six million. Um, Rob Finlay, the uh, leading waiting list expert, uh, told me. Uh, this week that the um, uh, the kind of brunt would be borne by those who had been left on the waiting list the longest already the 52 mm. week waiters uh, so um, so yeah th- we're seeing some pretty um, uh, profound steps being taken already we're also seeing the cancelling of face-to-face outpatients do, uh, do we know how many trusts have actually started cancelling versus planning to cancel yet we we don't but we definitely know that, yeah, people, uh, there there are trusts already. Um, Nottingham was one yes, of them. Yes, I've, really I've been told that Nottingham is um, starting to cancel electives. So, uh, so yeah. large trusts already are moving into that phase. Um, but no, we don't, we, we're not sure uh, how many yet, but certainly it's happening now. But there must be some exceptions to this. Um, I'm thinking of trauma cancer care yeah they can't cancel everything certainly we are talking about the non-emergent well so-called non-emergency end Mm. of elective work and what trusts have been told to do is risk stratify their patients uh so that um they can identify anyone who's um who's uh yeah operational procedure is is you know we'll just have to go ahead come what may 
Mm. Um, so hopefully, I mean, the, the Royal College of Surgeons have also said that they're very concerned about the idea of blanket bans. Mm. Um, you know, blanket bans generally uh, are not really a good way to run things because there's, there's, there's so many nuances within, you, you know, people talk about electives, like uh, they're kind of one one group, but yeah. obviously there are many subgroups within there. And as, 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 as you say, some, some operations, yeah, will yeah. have to go ahead. Yeah. I think that's absolutely right. People are realising that... Um, People are well. Many people already know are well aware that there are uh, planned care things that have to take place, and you can't use coronavirus as an excuse to sort of not do a lot. Uh, some things that urgently need to be done because that person will be equally as unwell as someone who who has um, a serious bout of coronavirus. But at the same time, that point about the Royal College of Surgeons, I think, is a um, is a kind of an interesting thing. And over the last week or so, we've I think it feels like we've seen people starting to really seriously in earnest absorb the what the consequences of this are going to mean for them and their 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 and their organizations and the people they work with um I'm sure there's I think there's more of that to fall out over the next um week or so as well as people really thoroughly think through the consequences um but you do see in some organisations like Royal College of Surgeons or particular professionals or people in all walks of life kind of saying you know th- this can't happen. That shouldn't happen. This things. But it, if there is a peak surge, as is it seems highly likely now, you know all these ridiculous, extreme things are going to happen. You know, yes, yeah. nobody's actually talking about a blanket ban, but there is, albeit there is a risk of, of people going too far with cancellations. Um, but I've seen various, you know, kind of uh, professional um, groups, unions, and so on as well, talking about, you know, this this can't happen people will object to this people will 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 uh, you know won't will refuse to work in this way because that's the case in normal times you know but it is going to be a it's, it's an enormous emergency you know if this yeah. happens as it's normal times it's an enormous emergency and people aren't just going to refuse to do things they're going to you know broadly speaking try and get on with doing what needs to be done aren't they i think yeah one other uh, story to flag up um uh, this week was the um uh, guidance which has been published uh, today uh, we're talking on friday um uh for um anaesthetists to um uh, support their intensivist colleagues in icu we know that icu is right mm. at the sharp end of all mm. of this we know that there's been staff shortages and bed shortages in icu ventilator shortages all, yeah. all sorts of shortages so it'll be very interesting to see uh now um anaesthetists uh, train in in intensive care as part of their training anyway. So when they were talking, we're talking about refreshing the skills rather than people mm. retraining. And we're talking about um, people being able to do this refresh within, for some of them, mm. uh, uh, you know, under a day, for others, a couple of weeks. But but it will be very interesting to see, um, yeah, how, how, um, how far that goes uh, and how many anaesthetists yeah. are used deployed in those roles but as, as you say i don't I, I think people yeah um generally are pretty can do at, at these kind of times and mm. um yeah we're going to see some pretty profound changes mm. i think the kind of the interest well interesting the kind of the unknown well one of the many unknowns but a big unknown is even doing all those things how far are, are even doing you know now annabelle can talk in a moment about the story we wrote this week about expanding critical care capacity but even repurposing every 
you know viable clinical space for critical care even getting all the intensive doctors even getting the you know intensive care nurses to work at much higher ratios look after sort of three or four patients instead mm. of one even um you know digging out buying all the ventilators they can find you know then how near are we to we don't clearly know and there's no point being enormously alarmist about it but how close to the to the peak of demand for ventilated um critical care can they get to um it's still the the modeling you know still looks worrying even in, in that respect even if even with everyone doing all these things doesn't it but Anna, mm. annabelle do you want to talk about yeah that no I, I can pick up on that um so um as some people may know the chief nursing officer summit went ahead this week and um we published a piece um specifically looking at plans to um increase intensive care um capacity dramatically um and this this story was based on um a closed session um held by Keith Willett who is um the I believe strategic director for NHS England um yeah kind of instant director I suppose he also yeah. looked at no deal Brexit or led on no deal Brexit um and so we kind of we spoke to people who were in that briefing and um they were quite clear to us that there was um going to be well that uh, professor willett was saying wouldn't just be doubling your critical care capacity um instead um expect to increase it um sevenfold um he since refuted this and said he said um several fold in any case we're talking about a huge increase of capacity and um i think the reaction to this story has been clear people just can't imagine how this is going to work in reality um i think um kind of yeah that point about ratios as well um i think that point was also made um and kind of that emphasis on kind of pulling all the levers um someone also said that he he talked about how money is no object for the nhs at this point in time in terms of kind of buying everything i think that was mm. the, the chance used. for prime minister having fairness you know have said that essentially haven't mm. they said this support will be there uh, but we, when you need it we've known that over the last few years now the workforce has been a bigger problem for the nhs than mm. the money anyway mm. so mm. I, I i guess that that only comes into sharper focus at a time like this and, and indeed are the biggest well, the biggest short-term lever for workforce has always been hailed as international recruitment. Mm. But I'd, I'd be quite interested to see what's happening there at the moment. I mean, I've I've spoken to a few contacts in that area and saying, you know, obviously we're taking it day by day, but, you know, when no staff. Like, for example, Italy is a huge feeder country to mm. the UK in terms of nursing staff in particular. And at the moment, there's, you know... And, and if you're in a country that has any likelihood of... of the pandemic reaching it which exactly. is exactly there's an ethical yeah, by yeah. definition then are you going to be considering no, leaving or exactly there's an there's mm. you know like an ethical consideration as well there as well i suppose mm. um so yeah i think that would be quite interesting um so as, as far as i know that anyone who has, has has symptoms or is coming from a certain set of countries has been told not to travel so yeah um and there are, there are a few other interesting um bits from that conference as well actually um simon stevens um uh, kind of came and addressed um, the chief nurses um, and announced that third year nursing students would be drafted in or invited to work clinically, um, which did ruffle a few feathers as um, third year nursing students do spend most of their time in hospitals anyway. <laughs> but um, I think this was kind of more around um, and talking to the NMC and making sure kind of they're working in a nursing capacity, but you know, to the point at which they're qualified to do so. Um, I mean, you know, I'd probably expect the same to happen to medical students before long. 
it would mm. make sense. I mean, yeah. in the fourth or fifth years, I'm just speculating, but if they're asking nurses to come in, surely they'll ask medical students to yeah. come in. Um, and then that brings up the question about retired doctors. Oh, um, uh, yes. But the, the trouble with that is that if you let, let your license lapse, it's very very bureaucratic to revalidate and get your license back well whether there will there's emergency legislation going through isn't yeah, there so whether yeah. they will just add that into and things like crb checks as well you know whether they're gonna have to uh, just add, add in these things into emergency legislation mm. but again you come back to you know the, the, the people who are making the uh, looking at the evidence and making decisions nationally will be looking at their numbers but if they think the numbers justify it they're just going to do virtually anything aren't they they're not gonna let sort of um existing rules get in their way if they think it's justified to change them it does feel like the the dad's army bringing back a load of retired um clinicians feels more of a, a sound bite than an actual policy that's going to start touching the sites i mean it, it, it may help in certain places a bit but it's certainly not going to bail out the system um and one one chief executive was saying to me that it, it, they thought the um uh, the letter that's gone out from all the chief medical officers to the uh, two doctors, to all doctors across the UK, saying um, essentially, if you work in a different way, um, don't worry about reprisals, uh, which got a mixed response, really. I mean, um, uh, so as 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 I'm saying, some people were saying to me, this will this will have a profound effect, and others other yeah doctors have been slightly more skeptical saying um they don't think it, it went far enough and um and it still leaves doctors open to uh yeah uh to risk the in the just one point on the uh, drawing on um retired recently retired clinicians or volunteers they're also talking about who clearly you know not going to be a huge amount of help in um, intensive care but mm -hmm. if you think about the the type of um, work that might need to take place in people's homes or in the community and social care uh, and things like that because the it's it's i think always worth remembering and underlining which again it sounds like um keith willett did um from from your reports um annabelle stressed that you know in the, the large majority of cases though we don't know quite what percentage but the large majority of cases people with coronavirus will be um at home mm. ill um and in some cases they might be if they don't need to go into hospital they might be at home for quite a while they may be old and isolated and 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 need other uh, forms of care have have comorbidities and things um mental health issues and stuff like that um, so there is a vast, a potentially vast effort of care and, and services which also need to be provided away from acute hospital and that might be where there is more of a role, it's obviously complex with the kind of infection risks, there might be more of a role for people who are volunteering or people who mm. have, have clinical, you know, clinical skills that, that aren't currently on the register. Um, and things like that. Um, there's also the big, you know, digital role, and 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 again, we reported this week on the announcement of the primary care, certain new and changed primary care service that's which is being put in place for for people who have coronavirus, and that's a kind of primarily a telephone or digital thing. But there are some people who are going to need people to visit them, um, mm. you know, like it or not. And the kind of question of the sort of um, capacity which exists in 
care homes and domiciliary care and and supporting that as as staff potentially go off um go off sick which would be mm. you know very important in keeping people away from hospital where you can well i was just thinking about that point about keeping people away from hospital um and kind of drafting in volunteers or other people surely you want kind of the core number of people working in hospital without kind of extra people coming in i don't know does that increase the infection risk i you mean in terms of patients coming in? No, in terms of kind of additional volunteers. Um, you know, if they, if they don't have a clinical role. It has to be done in a very planned yeah, way, wouldn't just, it? I, so yeah. I think, yeah, it's yeah. perhaps it's more of um, armies of people supporting supporting people who need some well, Annabelle, you were low-level help out of away from hospital. Mm. Sorry, Dave, I was just saying, Annabelle, you were talking about your own volunteering mm. role yes. being... Uh, being cancelled, yeah. which I think is, you know, some people saying it's not the right idea but i think it's quite sensible mm. also because we've not been given any training so no and i know nhs staff have been given kind of basic kind of better infection control training which <laughs> i mean i don't know I, it, I maybe we just don't know enough about this virus yet and how it behaves but um i think something else that came out of um Keepwillet's kind of briefing um people kind of saying it's this kind of emphasis on treating it like it's flu kind of treating like a like a flu pathway in terms of stopping isolating patients in separate rooms mm. and wearing hazmat suits and all that sort of thing mm, yeah flu in the sense that there's going to be loads of it as well yeah. and and in the vast majority of yeah. cases you don't need to be hospitalized yeah um, but i, was, I know i think it was the chief medical officer or the chief scientific officer and yesterday was stressing in some ways it's very much not like flu because it is mm. it is more deadly so that we but, mm. but yeah you can't pretend there's no point pretending it's um not more deadly than no. flu and not more serious because we're none of us who are kind no, of immune to it and so on but it is but yeah in some respects and the way that the health system has to respond to it does have to it's important to remember the the role of non-clinical and non-medical and and uh, kinds of uh, the role that all those sorts of services and support uh support networks outside beyond medical care are gonna gonna mm. play and actually we're speaking to people after that briefing who in the room came out saying i'm so pleased he said that um and that the kind of the the current strategy of testing everybody and isolating everybody, um, someone said afterwards that that has just caused chaos. Mm, totally mm. unsustainable, really. Yeah. Mm. The one other thing I thought was w worth underlining on um, on the coronavirus is the impact on other stuff that's going on in the in the health or was meant to be going on in the health service, and we've just this morning there's. Um, uh, Sarah Jane Marsh, for the the chief executive of the Birmingham Women's and Children's Hospitals, mm. is, is 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 one of a number of people calling for uh, aspects of planning, for normal NHS planning for next year, and in particular, she's talking about cost improvement plan savings um, schemes. You know, at this time of year, normally coming up to the end of March, loads of uh, you know, senior managers are spending time on trying to work out how they could save money over the next you know over the next six to 12 months um, and that will be things like through staffing and she's kind of saying the distraction and the pressure at the moment um, upon people who are who are involved in NHS planning mm. is is very high and what on earth is the point in pretending you can you're going to save a load of money on staffing over the next six months when quite clearly uh, you know people mm. are going to be looking for, to spend Absolutely. a lot more on staff if the they agency can. cap is surely going out the window <laughs> well that's yeah no, link with agencies <laughs> is going to be interesting isn't it yeah the, very interesting um but and, and other thing you know other things that we put off so that general uh planning work and and kind of any kind of uh sort of sense of financial 
trajectory seems to be going away and nationally we're expecting around this time of year the nhs people plan and the targets yes. review that james was talking about last week mm. all these things you'd have a, have a huge question mark around Just them that, uh, pressing the pause button maybe to happen. yeah sort of exposes the kind of fragility of it as well mm. you know the looking at looking at uh, savings around around sips and so on and yeah it does seem does seem quite reasonable where we'll extend from from there i mean anything about the changes around the financial recovery fund you know mm. are we going to see from april uh you know hospitals being told actually we need to really focus more on how we can respond to coronavirus in us you know mm. you know hitting these um are, well not so arbitrary targets but it might seem like that mm. in, in context yeah you know what what's it's going to be very interesting over the next few months to just see um how hospital finances and fi finance management is going is going to change and it, it seems from from this morning from what's being from what's at least being said on twitter that that could that could easily happen mm. i think it's yeah it'd be very hard for for nhs england to not i say you know reasonably quickly get around to agreeing with that in a in a in a you know perhaps not in a completely yes or no way but mm. to more or less say yeah most of this is going to be completely deprioritized and and moving to you know move on mass to a much more simple system mm. I think this is probably a good point to um, move on to our second topic, which is linked to coronavirus, um, which is the budget. Um, so, Tom, do you think you could just kind of just just briefly cover what was in the budget in terms of um, for, well, for coronavirus preparations? Yeah, uh, I mean, obviously it was predicted that coronavirus would take some of the oxygen out of the uh, NHS budget um, or any announcements around investment. Um, Obviously, key was the five billion pounds that Rishi Sunak announced, um, and this contingency pot he says um, could could increase. A very clear message that they whatever the NHS wants, it will get, whether it be millions and billions of pounds. Mm. Um, but at the moment, we don't know how that money is being organised or moved through the system, um, and. That will be something to keep uh, our eyes on over the um, over the coming weeks. And um, I mean, obviously, the five billion emergency fund is going to be used to take Im immediate, urgent measures on buying things like protective equipment and covering overtime. Um, I mean, there's still some concern about, and we mentioned a little bit earlier about how the money will actually be uh, how it can be used because with staffing and space shortages there's there's a sense that even if we have this much money to spend will it or can it be effectively used but well I guess we'll remain to be mm. remain to be seen what about tom the budget measures beyond coronavirus was there any any space at all for that on the on the for on the nhs yeah um where there was in the speech richie sunak mentioned that there would be six billion pounds invested over the course of this parliament um whether that is there was no indication in that announcement if that was split how that would be split between capital and revenue um but looking at budget documents we see that there is a 1.1 billion pound increase in capital investment for next year uh up from uh, 7.7.1 billion um we expect that that will be invested into estate management and uh basically for refurbishment backlog and, maintenance yeah. rather than building new things yeah doesn't it, yeah yeah sense? and that big multi-year capital investment is is more likely well we hear that from uh it's going to be announced in the 
sort of July spending review round. Um, obviously, that's uh, every, that's something that NHS leaders are, are hotly uh, and anticipating. Um, the revenue uh, budget as well. Um, we saw from the uh, also from the budget documents that went up by by around one billion, and this will be used to this will be used to help um, deliver some of the Conservative Party manifesto promises on the likes of uh, on the likes of fifty thousand uh, uh, forty thousand forty. Uh, 50,000 50, nurses. 50, nurses. Yeah, yeah. 40 yeah, yeah. new hospitals. That's there we go. So, and... And staff so, in primary yeah. care. On, on yeah. that, I think there's there's a lot of the kind of back into the list of things that aren't happening because of coronavirus, really, or or even um, prior to coronavirus, perhaps, but because the, the amount of money, of revenue coming in there is really at the margins of um, things that have been promised already by the government around um, trying to bring staff into primary care and, yeah, maybe a little bit of, of, of sort of helping with the mm. 50,000, but they, they haven't, you know, most notably they haven't settled the capital multi-year budget thing and surely there's got to be a question of can you really do a spending review in before the summer break given coronavirus um and so the interest has been waiting for quite a long time now for a multiple there's been discussion for quite a long time now about this multiple multi-year um capital settlement and secondly the chunk of money confirmed multi-year for health education england and so on for actually the the, the bulk of training new people domestically to be nurses is has not been confirmed either um so mm. the kind of there's big gaps there. they've obviously got a fairly good excuse by way of coronavirus but um but fundamentally those big things are not being done yeah yeah and and no uh, specific budget announcements on public health and social care either absolutely mm. it should largely spec i mean um with Matt Hancock announcing that he wants you know cross party support on, on yeah. any new social care um uh, social care bill um then it, you know it, it seems like we wouldn't get a big announcement anyway but it is the area that uh that uh strategist think tanks will be a, a will be encouraging um government to con to consider that being you know something we've been waiting for for years and years for yeah mm. absolutely and i mean public is yes, on both counts um social care and public health it might be that you know, it's um, you don't want to be too sort of um, blurry-eyed about these things, but the um, you know, maybe the, the, the coronavirus thing does underline the importance of the role of um, both care services and um, and then being resilient and public health. You know, we've just had they're not our sort of um, you know we don't write a great deal about that the sort of broader public health role in in hsj the the people who do the contract tra contact tracing and that sort of thing in public health england have been like run ragged and basically done you know by initial reports a pretty impressive job working yeah. around the clock to to trace people over the last few weeks and months mm. yet there's like yet the government continues to not actually you know publish public health allocations let alone um you know, give us some sort of decent settlement. Yeah, so. I think something we should mention in terms of what wasn't in the budget for the NHS was the uh, pensions, uh, kind of I suppose fix for mm. the um, taper tax. Yeah, it's caused so much chaos over the last well eighteen months. Sticky really. plaster. A sticky mm. plaster. Mm. Yes. Um, I don't know whether you want to just kind of go over the headlines. Um, just for that one. I mean. Yeah. As well, I mean the taper has not been removed. Um, but that would be very difficult because that would obviously affect the whole of the public sector. You know, uh, but um, it's the um, the the pension relief roof. Yeah. Um, as as 
uh, increased significantly, mm. more so than was anticipated, that it would increase from around 150 for staff with mm. salaries of 150,000, actually went to about like 200,000 uh, or up to 200,000 pounds. So yeah. anyone earning less than that will be able to uh, put the full 40, 40 grand into their annual pot. Um, and the um, uh, that well, that would mean that, well, according to um, uh, according to the Treasury, that ninety-eight uh, percent of consultants mm. and ninety-six percent of uh, GPs that would be that would cover them. Yeah, uh, and managers as well. It's important to say, I think, because mm. they've been missed out of. Um, well, when they said there was a consultation, they said, "Oh, you know, we'll have a look at everything," but I'm not sure about managers. Like, we couldn't we couldn't really ever pin pin them down on it. I no, well, all the temporary stuff and the measures they proposed last year were more or less definitely not going to no, include energy managers. Not. But the, now yeah. it's got to a sort of sustainable. It's kind of a a, a sort of long term treasury decision. Yes. I, th I think essentially they can't. They find it virtually impossible to distinguish between different groups. Hence, mm. it covers the whole whole economy really, doesn't it? Mm. So. But the, I was just thinking that how expensive this is going to be. I mean, it's going to cost the treasury. I think two point two billion mm. um by 2025 which is leveling leveling yeah. it's not it's clearly not leveling up earnings no, no. It's, it's i mean yeah dragging up the high levels absolutely it's controversial i mean you know if if this had been in any other time it, there would have been a complete outcry over it no absolutely but, uh, absolutely yeah. it just it just underlines kind of what unusual times we're in at the moment i think and the power of, of medical lobbying, despite oh, yeah. the BMA's problems over the last mm. few years, you know, that people have, um, mm. it's been, you know, even before coronavirus, a lot of it, they were going to move um, mm. quite far, weren't they? And because because it was for the NHS and for medics, mm. um, seems to me. And I think people have, in, in, response, to the, in response to this, um, I noticed our readers kind of saying, well, the problem isn't fixed as the anni annual allowance remains unchanged as they've just increased the threshold from 110 to 200. It's not enough. <laughs> it's not enough, Rishi Sunak. It's not enough. Um, and on that note, we're going to have to bring the podcast to a close this week. Um, thank you all so much for joining me. Thank you very much. And just to remind listeners, um, the HSJ Health Check podcast is available every Friday on the hsj.co.uk website and across all the main um, podcast channels so please do subscribe and spread the word and again remember all our coverage on hsj.co.uk is now free to read thank you very much for listening and see you next week